All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Cloud Innovation Podcast hosted by us, hosted by Global Dots. My name is Miguel. I'm the Director of Sales for Iberia and LATAM here at Global Dots, where we are one of the major resellers of CDN in the world. We work with 17 out of 20 top CDNs. We're also experts in cloud innovations, and we have many partners in that field one of which we will present today as we're going to speak about the next generation of data analytics platform, not only for the cloud, also for CDN and web applications, cybersecurity and data overall. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this, uh, this, uh, this episode. I'm going to present to you now Chris, who's joining us from CoraLogix. Maybe he can explain a little bit about his company and his title, and then we're going to go right into this week's episode. Thank you very much, Miguel. Um, I'm Chris. I'm the developer advocate for CoreLogix. So what CoreLogix is, is an observability company um, that processes logs, metrics, traces, and security information to create a single pane of glass across all of your observability needs. <clears throat> we are a, um, we've been around there. We're an Israeli-founded company. We've been around since 2016. Um, the, the things that we are really, really good at, so we, we compete really heavily in the market, but the things that we're really good at is analyzing your data in stream and querying your data from remote. So what that means is that we process your data very, very quickly, very, very efficiently, faster than almost anybody else in the market. And um, we allow you to store data in your own cloud account. So we don't have these hidden charges where we basically just host things for you. Uh, you, you host things yourself and you can query via the CoreLogix UI, enabling you to get that single pane of glass where you can view everything from the, the one dashboard, but also um, have the efficiency and the economies of scale of hosting some data basically in S3 or something similar to that. Um, so these are the areas that we work really well, and this is what makes us really great for the uh, use case that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and then maybe a little bit about yourself. How did you get to CoraLogix? What's your what's your journey? Because you know Global does also for a while now. Yeah, um, so I started out as a Java engineer uh, over eight years ago. Then I uh, I was a Java engineer for a few years. Uh, still love Java, even though it's becoming less and less popular. Um, then I moved to the front end. So I was writing in JavaScript and then TypeScript uh react js and that kind of thing um eventually moved into the uh sort of developer operations devops sre kind of role uh, where i was responsible for um building kubernetes clusters for managing uh, sort of complex observability platforms using Elasticsearch and prometheus and so on and then finally um in more recent years moved into engineering leadership so i was the principal engineer at a very large retailer where we were responsible for thousands of different services, um, costing a portfolio of over hundred million pounds, um, was roughly 120 million uh, US dollars um, of services. And we were um, cost optimizing, making more efficient, making it easier for engineers to do their job, um, but also comparing with procurement. And so uh, competing vendors against one another and uh, essentially just making the best economic as well as technical steps forward for a large and very sprawling and complicated company. Gotcha, gotcha. And then just to, to simplify it a little bit, so would you say that CoreLogix is, is a CM? Is that is a fair assignation to you guys? Or would you say it's a bit different? Yeah, so we um, we do a, a mixture of different things, um, but we, are, um, we, we, we have some of the best engineers in the world when it comes to things like uh, Elasticsearch, uh, Prometheus, that kind of thing. Um, and um, the, the layers that we built uh, around that and the product that we built in, in conjunction with that uh, mean that we've got features that don't exist anywhere else in the market and we're really sort of pushing the boundaries of what people will consider in observability. So as an example, 
Um, archive query is a feature that we support where uh, what most providers will do is allow you to compress your data uh, for, for as long as you want. And if you ever need it again, you have to re-index your data back into your hot storage, uh, which is just your storage that you're constantly querying. Very expensive, very inefficient, and very slow. So what we allow you to do is you store data in, for example, S3. You can, you can still query it, even in the storage mode, you can still query it. The queries take between 15 and 20 seconds. Um, and so this is something that nobody else in the market is doing with the volumes of data that we can do it with. Um, yeah. So it's these kinds of things that we're really pushing the boundaries on. So yes, definitely uh, SEMs in the observability space. Yeah. So as you know, Global Dots and Coralogics have been working together for a while. We actually have some, some customers together. I was uh, fortunate enough to make my first project with, with Chris. Uh, and one of the, the key things that we're seeing is, uh, you know, at Global Dots really heavily focuses on CDN. We're one of the biggest reseller in the CDN space and have been for, for many years, is the uh, extreme detailed overview of CDN logs and how you can break that down into data that the engineers can actually work on. Can you can you go a bit into that route and also say what makes you different from, from other CMs in that uh, regard? Absolutely. So um, firstly, the, um, the, 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 the thing that differentiates CoreLogix is how we're architected. So uh, firstly, uh, we were based on a technology, a proprietary technology that we built called Streamer. Um, Streamer is a, is a platform architecture and a collection of technologies. Uh, what we enable you to do is first and foremost, analyze in stream. So what this means is that you can, uh, as, as soon as the data reaches CoreLogix, we don't store it and we don't index it first, which is what almost everybody else does. Um, even, I think everybody else stores it in some fashion before they process it. And um, some try to be more efficient by storing in, for example, NoSQL or document-based storages before they move on. Um, but most will store, and this introduces latency. Uh, storage IO is one of the primary sources of latency in almost any system, actually. Um, we analyze everything in stream, meaning it's the second it hits our APIs, it's triggering alerts, it's updating metrics, it's driving transformations that you set up and passing rules and things like that, driving AI-driven machine learning as well to sort of uh, pull out new insights. That, that all happens the second it reaches CoreLogix, which makes it very, very fast, very efficient. Um, and, and for the CDN use case, that fits perfectly because the, the, the thing that people do with CDNs is obviously they have two major use cases for CDNs. One is they have a huge volume of traffic and they need that caching layer and that protection to make sure that things are, are moving fast. And second, they need consistent latency across the entire world. So they have a very, very broad base of users. Um, for the consistent latency thing, monitoring that and tracking that is difficult because uh, you have a large volume of users all making requests. Um, that can impact performance. It can slow down alarms. It can slow down your metrics. And so you want to make sure that whatever platform you go with can process that very, very fast. We can because of the way we're architected. And the former, the people just have huge, huge volumes of data. If you try and ingest those kinds of that scale of data that you would typically see on a CDN into a normal solution um, or into a solution that isn't prepared for it, you're going to impact query performance. You're going to impact load times, metrics, uh, load times, alarm firing, taking it sometimes to the order of sort of five to seven minutes in some of our experiments. Um, whereas uh, at CoreLogix, you don't that kind of latency because we're not storing and indexing up front we're processing and analyzing in stream and then storing and indexing towards the end of the process everything's still persistent so you still have resilience and failover but that sort of official storage and indexing point is done way later in the process and that makes for a much more powerful much more effective system and so that's yeah, how we fit the cdn use case really well one of the main use cases for the cdn is to reduce latency yeah if you then have latency by analyzing the data coming out of the cdn that is yeah 
counterproductive. So let me just ask, why are the others not doing it also in real time? I mean, everything is better in real time, right? What, what, what makes a difference? How can your platform be so much faster here than others? Well, you know, Corologics took a brave step in, in terms of uh, making a decision a few years ago that this was this was going to be the thing that differentiates us. You know, lots of companies have, they, you know, it's, it's a natural function of software engineering that you accumulate legacy over time and it becomes more and more difficult to make these kinds of radical changes. Yeah. We've made that decision a few years ago. Um, we were direct and deliberate about it and it's paid off. Um, and so um, not many companies are willing to... Um, push themselves forward in a direction, um, but, but that's what we've done and that's the outcome. Every, lots of other companies we've found, um, it's actually that their, their cost model, that their whole uh, business is, is sort of oriented towards um, charging you as much as possible. So they want you to store logs and with them for as long as possible. They want that to happen because it's it's more it's more cost effective for them. They can just put it into a you know an S3 bucket onto a file system, forget about it, and charge you a seventy percent markup. That's something that they can just get away with, and and no one can really do anything about it. Whereas yeah. for us, it's way more efficient for us, so it's much less costly for us, and it's and it's better for the customer if, for example, your long term logs get stored in your own AWS account. You pay way, way less for the you know the S3 storage costs, and we pay a lot less in terms of mon monitoring and moving all that data around. So it's a, we we basically aligned our interests with what the customer wants and, and win -win, made our yeah. business model in a way that makes for more more efficient data and more more rapid querying. So that's something that would differentiate us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I remember uh, we have some CDN customers that have a high complexity. Why? Because they have hundreds of subdomains. Maybe it's a it's a company that has mm -hmm. sub companies and they have sub websites. So we we sometimes talking about 300, 400 different domains who all need to be under a web application firewall, who all need to be protected against DDoS attacks, who all need to be protected from bots that really aggressively come to, to the websites, scour your data, all of this. Uh, so there is a huge amount of data being pressed out of, of the CDN, especially if you have several hundreds of domains. Often these companies have domains, legacy domains that, you know, just have one, two percent of the traffic, but they're equally important. Yeah. So how can you how can you make all these big amount of data and make it uh, so that the user looking at this can have can act and have some real uh, real life use cases from it? How can you break it down basically so it's legible for the for the CDN customers? Sure. So one of the um, things that immediately comes to mind. So most of the analysis that you do with CDN data comes from the logs. You know, not many of the CDNs export their metrics and things. They they're usually available in some kind of dashboard, some proprietary dashboard in the CDN UI. But the logs are the thing that you can export and get access to. The um, immediately one of the features that comes to mind is our logration feature. So um, what logrogation does is it will look at all of your similar log files, actually machine learning driven, but it will look at all of your similar log files that have similar keys and values in them. So for example, your CDN logs will all follow the same format. Um, mm -hmm. They'll just have different, um, different values. It will cluster all of those logs together and it will tell you things like 35% of your logs have this endpoint in this for this key value. And 23% of your logs uh, came from this IP address, for example. So Immediately, just with that information, you could see the um, the spread of traffic and where it's coming from. You could see uh, which pages are really popular, which pages are loading very, very slowly, um, which pages are loading probably too, maybe too quickly, which pages are firing errors consistently. Uh, you can break your data down using, using just that one feature. We also have um, some really sophisticated parsing rules, which will allow you to break down your logs into 
okay, so this 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 part of the log here is actually the metric for latency, and you can generate um, metrics using a logs to metrics feature um, from that. So you can actually take the logs, break them down into metrics, and store them as metrics. Now the beauty of doing that as well is that um, metrics are much less expensive to hold. So you can hold your metrics uh, in CoreLogic's a default of 12 months. You can do longer if you want, um, but it costs a fraction. It's, 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 it's half of like, you know, it's way, way less than, um, than holding logs, much more powerful. So we have a bunch of different techniques there for allowing you to render things. We have a visualization called data map even where once you have your data in um, metrics form, you can group it in a, in a sort of visual UI by uh, country, by city, um, by that kind of thing. And finally, um, the, the the last thing is um, we offer enrichment capability. So we'll, an IP address will come in and you can enrich your log with uh, geolocational data. So based on that IP address, we can say, hey, that came from this country, it came from this city. Um, so if that data isn't available in your CDN logs, we can add that in and decorate it after the fact for you. Um, so there's a bunch of different capabilities that CoreLogix has that, that um, not just architecturally, but feature-wise that uh, makes it will make parsing and understanding your CDN logs really, really sort of a joy. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. Huh? And the customers that we're implementing to, uh, there's always this aha moment because uh, if you're working with the CDN, if you're working with CDN logs, you know, you know how much raw data it is, how difficult oh, it is yeah. to read. And then when you see something just broke down in actual, you know, actions that that you have to do, you know, they they, they love it. They always they always uh, really happy with the outcome. Yeah. Um, but let's move away a little bit from the CDN. I mean, I, I like talking about it. That's where I'm coming from. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where, where Global Dot's really strong. But also, we do a lot in the cloud. Uh, and of course, uh, you can connect probably to most of the clouds. Let, 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 talk a little bit about where can you connect data to CoreLogix? On-premise, cloud, what are the limitations? What's working, what's not? Yeah, so the thing that we're really happy with at CoreLogix is um, we're really against vendor lock-in. We, we really don't, a lot of other providers, they do that. And again, that's part of their business model is to get involved and, and, and get as much proprietary software into your system as possible, and then you can't leave. Um, what we do is we uh, we leverage open telemetry very heavily. So you can create a fully open source integration into CoreLogix using, uh, for, for logs, metrics, and traces. Um, using our using the open telemetry software and nothing, no CoreLogix proprietary software. Everything's completely open source. We actually contribute into the open telemetry project to do this. Um, so what this enables us to do is to say to customers, hey, like if you can run the open telemetry agent on any environment, and that, that this thing runs in, you know, it can run on premise, it can run uh, in the cloud, it can run you know in Kubernetes clusters, raw EC2 instances, random Docker images, it can run anywhere you like. Um, if you can run that, you can ship data to CoreLogix. Um, we also, uh, for the security side of things, we have a security traffic analyzer. This is something that will run in your in your account, but it doesn't really um, affect much of your data. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really touch much of your infrastructure, but what it does is it actually um, captures AWS uh, API uh, calls. And what it'll do is it will um, it will tell you, and, and GCP as well, I do apologize. Mm -hmm. um, it, will, um, it will detect, for example, things like um, if you have an EC2 instance that ha that allows direct access from the internet, and it will tell you, it will flag that up for you. Um, so it's a mixture, but um, for the observability side of things, for logs, metrics, and traces, you can connect completely open source using open telemetry. Um, we also offer, we also connect via, you know, all of the normal observability tools that you would expect. So things like Elasticsearch, Prometheus, Fluent Bit, Fluent D, um, and so on. These like sort of really ubiquitous, really well known uh, logs and metrics solutions and tracing solutions as well. Um, 
but we can connect via those as well so there's a myriad of different ways i think our extensions page our integrations page sorry has like well over 100 different integration points at this stage um so so yeah, there's, if, if if you run it you can you probably got to be able to connect it yeah yeah for sure so but that's interesting so in in your experience how much is moving into the cloud and how much is still on premise so what we're seeing at global dots is it highly depends on the company if it's a young company they 99% cloud native yeah, yeah. if the medium young company they maybe cloud primary they still have some on premise but they cloud primary and then for the enterprise for the big, big guys that have been there for 50 100 hundreds of years you know most of them are still running most of the infrastructure in on premise and yeah. all the new applications that are coming on board now are then directly deployed in the in the cloud yeah, yeah. um so but what what is your what is your insights from from there as you see many customers sending their data uh, where's the most data coming from? Is it still on-premise? Is it shifting to cloud? Is it coming from web applications? Can you give us some insights there? From an observability perspective, here's what I would say. The vast majority of companies that are talking about observability are doing so from a cloud perspective. Mm -hmm. The reason why they're doing that is because the cloud has kind of removed a great deal of concern for them in terms of the operational stuff. So the thing I always like to talk about is uh, one company I worked for where we had our own data center and we had an outage because the cleaner who cleaned the data center once a week didn't show up and something got in the bat into, into the the, um, the intake fan of one of the servers and it broke something. And it was like, we have to make sure the cleaner shows up on a weekly basis to make sure that our software runs, you know? Um, so so that that experience like was really like, wow, that, that, there's a lot to think about here. And then of course, that's not even the technical, that's just the logistics. So AB power supplies, failover networking, geo-resilience, these kinds of things. So the companies that have their own data centers are typically massively concerned with these low-level things. The observability conversation I've found, especially the big enterprise companies, they haven't started there yet. They're not, they're not quite at that point because they're still yeah. trying to deal with all this operational stuff. Yeah. So whenever someone's talking to me about observability, yeah, yeah. Uh, the vast, the vast majority of um companies are um are coming from a cloud perspective i will say however um I, in my role as the developer advocate i go to a lot of different conferences and when i'm speaking with people um, there are some companies now that are moving away moving back away from the cloud and back onto on-premise because they believe that the, the cost savings they can achieve on-premise are are significant and they have the upfront capital to be able to buy or lease the necessary hardware and the, the space to do that um it's definitely an interesting trend and I, I don't know whether it will continue or not but um it's something to be mindful of because those companies are leaving the cloud and they're accustomed to all of the uh, power and the features that for example a provider like uh, aws has you, know, you can spin up a vm in three minutes uh, it's not easy to replicate that locally at scale um on, on your own hardware so it'll be really interesting to see how that develops over the next few years yeah, and, and where, where it uh, kind of clicks in, yeah? At the moment, they say it's around 15% of the IT budget is cloud, and then 85 yeah. is non-cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, they say it will go up to 80-20, so the other way around, basically, uh, that 80% of the IT budget will be cloud, and then 20% will be on-premise. But yeah. who knows? Yeah, maybe it, it, it ends up at 50-50, yeah? Uh, we're seeing something similar um, when it comes to cost, and cloud costs are going to go up next year. 20, 30 percent with inflation, with computing costs, with all of this. Um, so it's going to be super interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we can handle both both ways, yeah, uh, and be dependent on where the type goes. Yeah? Um, so the concept of a CM is not nothing new, yeah. You you didn't reinvent the wheel here. Uh, there's 
big players, uh, the probably most known is, is Splunk on the market. But maybe you can tell, tell us a bit, you know, what makes you guys different from what is out there? Why are customers changing from traditional uh, uh, CMs to you? Yeah, we always in Global Dots, we, we call you the CM 2.0, yeah, mm. or 4.0, depends on how excited <laughs> you get on the customer call, yeah. But maybe talk a little bit about the, the, the things that make you different from what's on the market right now. I think uh, industry-wide, there's a great deal of discontent with um, many of the observability providers right now. Um, the reason why is because it's almost a meme now, actually. If you um, if you open Twitter and you just type in like Splunk Bill, you will see like people like nobody's happy with how much they're paying for this stuff. That's not a function. I don't know what I don't know what the the, the main driver of that is. I have some suspicions, but um, that is a, a really prevalent trend across the industry right now. Um, so that that is one thing that we see and one of the things that these companies don't do very well is cost optimization um and i think one of the things that we're cautious about is that um every every feature we build we think well how much of this data does a customer actually need how much of this data does a customer actually care about so for example they're, they're ingesting you know 10 terabytes of logs a day but only because those logs have a single number in them and they're driving graphs. You have to save the 10 terabyte or can you just deal with the one single thing that you're looking for? Precisely. Right? And this yeah. is something that we do really well that other providers don't necessarily do. The second thing is that those providers, uh, as we talked about before, they're architected differently. They're architected in a more traditional way, store first and then and then start to do the processing. Because we don't do that, um, we are not only faster, actually unlocks different capabilities. So for example, if you're ingesting, um, I will say, logs, metrics, and traces uh, through CoreLogics. You can correlate all these different data points together. So many of the traditional observability providers, what they'll do is they'll give you a log screen and you can only do the logs and there's no view of metrics. You go to a metric screen and you can query your metrics. You go to a traces screen and you can only see your traces. And they they, they kind of silo this. So we started referring to this as a data silo where um, you will trigger your alert. For example, if you have an alarm, you will say, um, I have an outage. This this outage situation can be triggered by either um, the CPU exceeding ninety five percent, the uh, uh, you know more than five percent of the application logs are error logs, or uh, the the traces uh, the latency increases you know to three four hundred milliseconds. You know any of those three are the situation. You define three alerts there. If one of those fire, you have to check if the other two are fired to make sure that the actual the situation has happened. And um, so this is this is what we started thinking about as a siloed alerting strategy. And it's, it's a product of this idea of splitting the data up and splitting observability data up. The thing that we do really, really nicely is that every time we build a feature, we think, well, how does this correlate with other data? So if you go into the CoreLogix Traces UI, you can open up a span. You can see the logs that the application was producing when it produced that span. Mm. And then you can move across and you can see things like the metrics of the Kubernetes pod or the EC2, or the host instance, uh, and what they were a minute, uh, a couple of minutes before and a couple of minutes after and during that span. So what that means is that you're correlating all of your data types together so that rather than being like, okay, the metrics alert has gone off or the metrics have increased, I'll go look at the traces. Oh, the traces are quite slow. I'll go look at the logs. You can, for example, open a trace and see everything straight away. Yeah, yeah. And that's a function of processing in stream because the data is all being moved together as one. Uh, rather than being separated off into different storage locations, then triggering lots of different pipelines and eventually being brought together after maybe minutes of latency. So that's like one really common example. This, the second thing that we do that um, sets us apart, I think, is that um, we have this concept of flow alerts. Mm -hmm. So um, 
most providers, like I said, you can define an alert. And actually, I think every open source solution for this as well, you define an alert around a single measurement. So for example, metrics, logs, traces, yeah. um, this trace has exceeded this. Like I say, the problem is, is that outages aren't just like, um, you know, the, the CPU has exceeded 95%. Sometimes it exceeds 95% and it's fine. Mm -hmm. So what actually we found, one of the things that we thought about was a, 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 outages are actually a sequence of events happening in time. So mm -hmm. the CPU exceeds 95%, then some error logs start to increase, then the, the, the page slows down by 30% or something. And, and that, that series of events is something that you care about. Um, for example, or you might care about one or two of them individually, but the whole series of events is a real problem. That's something to be really concerned about. So we built flow alerts, which allows you to join together lots of different smaller alarms. Mm -hmm. into, so you can have a single flow alert that describes, um, that, that covers metrics, logs, and traces. And that way you have this kind of like full stack alerting strategy, break down the alert silo and start thinking about your data and how it correlates with uh, the, the, the other data points that you've got rather than okay, I have one alert over here. And if this fires, I, have, I then have to find out if the other alerts are fired, what do the logs say? And so on, we try and bring all that information forward. The second big bonus of that as well is that it bakes the root cause into the alerts. So you, you stop defining alerts like um, CPU has exceeded 95% and you start defining alerts like a database slowdown has caused uh, page load failures on the, on the checkout application, for example. You get to the root cause becomes baked into the alert, bigger alerts, fewer alerts, firing, less alerts, spam, and so on. Um, but much, much faster uh, mean time to diagnosis, much faster mean time to recovery. So those are some of the things that really set us apart from the rest of the market in the same space. What is next? What features would you like to have that are not there yet? Can you tell a bit about the roadmap, where it's going? Um, what what can customers expect for in the future from Coalogix? Yeah, so... Um, CoreLogix has recently um, uh, released a whole suite of sort of APM features. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the next sort of big drive for us is, is, is more, more APM, like much more sophisticated APM. We want to get to a point where we're completely leading the market in, in our APM features. Right now, we're on par with the market, and I think we think that's okay, but we're not happy with that. So we're trying to push forward and really hit some features that are going to blow some people's minds. Um, the, the second thing I think for us is all about making these really nice, tight, intuitive integrations with common technology. So we're already doing that with Kubernetes. So for example, if you open a trace, uh, a, tra a span within a trace, um, it will tell you the Kubernetes pod and host metrics that happened at the same time as that. We're gonna do way more of that. So we already ingest all this data and it's just a case of building uh, the features into the platform to, to ingest the data from different places. Um, so, so it's all about making a really intuitive uh, product that you just give the data to it and it will immediately give you insights. Um, our mean time to insight is, is one of those measurements that we're trying to, we're trying to minimize that as much as possible, minimize the effort required to, to do that. So that's very, very much the theme of our backlog going forward is, um, is native integrations with common technologies um, and, and really, really killing it, killing it in the APM space, really pushing it as hard as we can uh, in terms of that. Um, so yeah, and, and finally, the breaking the archive idea, I think is something that we're already doing but there's, there's, there's more to do. And actually, I, I, some of it is, is still in development, so it's not wise to talk about it too publicly, but it's super exciting. It's, you're talking about terabytes and terabytes of data pulled out of S3 in a single query um, in, in seconds. And, and um, it, it's outrageous. I, I don't even, like, you know, I'm not uh, actively involved in the team. It's just, it's, so I'm not writing the code and it's like, how are you doing this? How is this much data coming out? But it's working and the benchmarks are looking at points where issuing queries five, five times faster than Athena. 
um, uh, for, for a series of different use cases. So we're, uh, it's really, really blazing fast. Um, and, and this idea, what we found with customers is that because the archive is so fast, they stop fearing the archive. They stop fearing compressing the, uh, holding their data into S3 or something. Um, and so they do more of it. And because they do more of that, they can hold less in hot storage. So they get faster queries, uh, more accessible data, and they pay less. Um, and so over time, customers customers see an initial, uh, on average, they see an initial between 40 and 70% cost saving by just moving to CoreLogic. And then over time, they get more efficient and they get cheaper because uh, they they work out, okay, CoreLogic has this feature we can exploit and now we pay 6% less. And that's what we're seeing with customers constantly. And like I said, because of the way we're architected, if the customer, we, we, the customer optimizes their stuff in a way of a data in a way that is more efficient for us as well. So we want them to do more of it. We want as much of it as possible. The more optimized and the more efficient they are, the more efficient we are. So, um, so it's one of the things that we're really, really happy with. Um, yeah, you mentioned it before. You're looking for this win-win situation where you yeah. help your customers grow and then they grow with you. And of course, yeah. um, so a, a lot of technical people are going to go, oh, this, this sounds amazing. Um, I want it, but... I know already that if I request the budget for this, you know, my CFO or my team manager or my CTO, you know, they will say no. Yeah. So mm -hmm. can you can you name a use case? You just start uh, talking about some cost reduction that, you know, but if you if you if you would speak directly to the CFO, yeah, who has maybe not a technical understanding so deeply, what would you tell him? in order for, for him to say, you know what, this is the right piece of technology, we need this because it will increase our return of investment over time. Sure, so there's um, there's a few key points that I think are always worth raising just from a purely economic perspective. One, the operational cost of your observability data, if it's high now, it's only going up. This is, a, this is an increasing cost. This isn't gonna flatline anytime soon yeah. because the more applications you've got, the more expensive it's going to become. And the, the the complexity of the insights you're trying to generate are only it's only going to increase because you're competing with everybody else and they're all generating more and more complex insights so you need to keep up with that and that needs more data not less so the cost is only going to increase and the the speed and what you need out of the platform is only going to increase up to a point where you start incurring an opportunity cost because you're not getting the same insights that everybody else is getting. So not only are you paying a lot for your logs, you're also paying the opportunity cost of not being able to access some of these cutting edge features. So, so that's like um, a sort of basic economics answer of uh, right now you're hitting operational cost, soon you're gonna hit the opportunity cost and those two things together is enormous. The yeah, second and thing, also cost of making mistakes, right? If, yeah. you, if you don't look at your data properly, mistakes are gonna be made that, you know, they, they need cleaning up, they need redoing, yeah? All of this kind of has to take them to cut. For sure, and 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 they see, you know, the cost of an outage is enormous. Um, and, and so um, we, you know, we're fundamentally, we, we try and think about what our customers are doing. It's one of the things that we do, you know, we, we tackle the data problems like a data company, but the observability problems, we tackle those like a company that was founded and run by engineers, which we are. Um, so we we fundamentally understand what our users are trying to do with the data. And that's how we build things in a way that's really, really user focused, really, really focused on making sure that the, the kinds of problems that engineers are solving on a regular basis are something that CoreLogix can do for you really, really well. So in terms of a time spend, in terms of just an engineering effort spend, it, it, people always underestimate the cost of engineers. Engineers are really expensive. And, these, can, these days yeah, and, and it takes time to do things. And then if they do a mistake, they have to redo them, right? And, yeah. and you have to pay, you know, one, two, three times for the same task. It's, it's yeah, just how sure. And those people, you know, th those, those retries are the, the probably some of the most expensive people in your company retrying stuff. They are literally the, the, the biggest cost in, in a lot of companies That's is how, do I, how am I going to pay my engineers? 
And so your goal is to optimize the time as much as you can working towards things that will make you money. That's the only way you can get your ROI. If they're sitting around trying to maintain this big, massive Elasticsearch cluster, well, they're not, and that's time they're not spending building features or, or, or building the things that make your product stand out in your, in your industry. That is, is, is opportunity cost, enormous opportunity cost. Difficult to quantify, but it's very, very real. So those are the kinds of things that uh, if I was talking to someone very senior without a technical background, I'd, I'd start there from an economics perspective. And then just talk about the, you know, obviously the, the great features that CoreLogix has that sets it apart from the, the competition and what that could unlock them. That's depends on the company, obviously. Yeah, makes sense. So we made happy the CTO. Now we make happy the, the CFO. Let's talk about the CISO. Uh, let's, let's make just a combination to security. How does all this data help uh, the security conscious CISO uh, in his job? Yeah, sure. So um, one of the things that um, I've seen personally in my own career, but um, something that we've seen quite a lot as well, is that compliance is typically seen as this like big bang thing. So for example, if you want to be SOC 2 compliant, so from a CISO perspective, what you want to move towards is continuous compliance. So continuously moving towards continuously having visibility of what your platform posture is like, what your security, you know, your, your overall um, threat uh, position looks like. Um, and having that constant research. So one of the things that Prologix does, uh, we have Snowbit is our features. Um, Snowbit allows you to uh, track continuous compliance across your cloud accounts. Um, you can open a dashboard and literally see your progress towards, for example, uh, SOC 2 compliance. Uh, you, can, you can see that uh, literally on the dashboard. So you can track that. It becomes a, a sort of drumbeat and a metric for CISOs to use to be like, hey, we're, we're 3% on this week. Great, you know, let's move forward. Um, we have hundreds of alerts built in out of the box. So if you just ingest your data into CoreLogix, click one button, um, you can deploy an extension that will um, handle you know, hundreds of RDS uh, uh, situations. For example, anything ranging from permissions, networking, um, uh, you know, uh, versions of uh, images, so that if they have known vulnerabilities in them, we can tell you about that. And so on. So it's uh, and you, know, you can divide it per person. No, you can say, okay, we want this technical person to receive this information via this channel, and then you can basically break it down into small little silos of information that are automatically forwarded as soon as it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the you know CoreLogix generally, so Snowbird is baked into the CoreLogix platform. And it benefits yeah. from like really mature technology. Um, you can manage sort of organizations and teams. So you can say like these guys can be this data, these guys are responsible for this, and they have this much processing power and so on. So it's really easy to subdivide your organization into CoreLogix and Snowbits and then get all that benefit from there. Um, the big thing as well is that um, Snowbit has a security research team built in. So we're providing that as a service. Um, so um, you don't have to hire really expensive, really skilled security analysts that are constantly researching and checking things. We have that as a service if you want it. So it's like one of those things that we can just give to you. And that's what one of the things that we're doing that really differentiates us from the rest of the market is this, this sort of this service offering that we're giving it from a security perspective. 100%. And also what we do a lot here in, in Global Dots when we implement uh, security and compliance platforms specifically for one area. Could be, for example, web application, could be in the cloud, could yeah. be for on-premise. Yeah, this data then connects to you. Uh, so it's a complete flow from, from the data being generated to an action being taken by an employee within uh, the, the customers, no? Um, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. It makes the, the entire thing more fluid. It, it, it's good for the CFO, it's good for the CISO, it's good for the CTO, it's good for the CIO. If he wants to look into the future, he needs the data to provide it, mm -hmm. yeah? So, you know, what we always recommend 
uh, is having a good CM in place, having it connected to the right data, the, the visibility, you know, information is power and power is what you need to keep your company moving forward. So I think in the next years, people are going to be more focusing on, on analyzing this data and we will see a lot of big things coming from Cora Logistics. Really excited to be your partner and um, we're looking forward to finishing up new uh, products and uh, new pr projects together. Yeah? yeah. And if anyone out there is listening and wants some more information about Cora Logistics or Global Dots, just reach out to me via directly via LinkedIn. Uh, reach out to Chris, uh, more than happy to help. And yeah, it was an exciting one hour. I think we're more or less there from from the time. Um, I'm sure we're gonna do a, a follow up on this in uh, in the next year. But yeah, thank you so much for for taking time for being here. Yeah, I see you do some some music. Uh, looking at your at your background. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, so yeah, the weekend is is near. I hope you you get to play a little bit. And yeah, right, so do I. from your side. Let us know, but it was a pleasure talking to you to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Miguel. It was an absolute pleasure being here. All right. That was it from the Cloud Innovation Podcast. And I hope to see you again. Next topic will be even more interesting. So stay tuned.